to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Job chapter 32. Job chapter 32. And if I'm quick enough tonight, we're going to get, try to get through two chapters. So while you're turning there, just a little uh, recap from the last time. So the last time we were in Job, we looked at that final defense that Job gave in chapter 31. Kind of his appeal to God to answer his, his testimony of righteousness. And he proclaimed um, his blamelessness before God and before man. And um, he had those 12 I have not statements that we kind of unpacked the last time that we went through uh, this book. And for us, it was one of those kind of self-examination times where we, we could ask ourselves those same questions that Job kind of put forth. And if you uh, weren't here the last time, it would be good to go back into chapter 31 and notice those things that Job uh, declares about himself, and then seek the Lord in those things that you may need uh, his assistance in to be who he's called you to be. And, and honestly, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what he's uh, created us to do in this world. We can't do it ourselves. The last line of chapter 31 tells us that Job is finished with that, with his defense. It says the words of Job are ended. It's one of the, it's one of the few places in scripture that there's really no need for interpretation. It's the words of Job are ended and that's it. So that's, that's all we needed to hear. So, uh, he, he finishes his, uh, defense, but that doesn't end the discussion. Uh, because there's uh, about 12 more chapters we have to go through. And um, the chapter 32 begins uh, a very long, very um, sometimes repetitive discourse by a new character that enters onto the scene. And this is somebody who, from the... Uh, from what we can gather with uh, how he relates to the situation, he's probably been watching and listening to these conversations go on. And again, we've discussed many times, we don't know how long all of this occurred. Could have been days, weeks, even months over the course of time. But there were people who were just kind of on the sidelines, listening and observing and watching these conversations take place as Job and his friends go back and forth and as he gets some good counsel, some bad counsel, you know, everything that we've been through. So this new character is Elihu. And Elihu is going to give us a few new ways to look at Job's situation. And I kind of compare him in some ways because he's got good points and bad points. He's a very complicated guy. So in some of the good ways, he's like a good marriage counselor who's able to see kind of the truth in the middle um, of the two parties. You know, there's some truth here and there's some truth there. A lot of times when we get together with two two parties who aren't seeing eye to eye, and, and Elihu is able to sort of get in between that and see the truth. 
Um, in that way, he's an important addition, I think, to the conversation that that we're we're having in this in this book. But remember, as we've talked about many times, a really a complete understanding of God's ways doesn't come from our own human ingenuity or wisdom or even deep intellectual conversations. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God who imparts that wisdom to us. And as we seek him, he will continue to do that. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing about a relationship with God is that he wants to impart wisdom to us. So it's not like we're completely at a loss, um, just um, at our own devices and our own opinions. Uh, God will give wisdom. Um, so Elihu here, he gives this long speech, six chapters, uh, where he kind of explains the character of God in many ways, and he applies a lot of those truths to Job's situation. But there are a lot of criticisms about Elihu's speech. And one of them is that it's very wordy. I mean, when he takes up six chapters, there's a lot that he says there. And long-winded. And um, it takes him nearly an entire chapter just to introduce what he wants to say. So uh, you can make that criticism maybe of Elihu. Secondly, he goes on for, for quite a few more chapters, not letting anyone else speak. He just, this is his monologue, and he's just going to go with it. And thirdly, you're going to hear a little uh, sense of maybe arrogance in Elihu's words, and uh, a little bit of pride, so that... Even when he does speak rightly about God or Job or even Job's friends, because he kind of brings everybody into the conversation, it's hard to receive it. It's hard for anyone. It's not palatable for people because kind of his of his attitude of maybe a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of pride. And so we can take a lot of lessons from Elihu in this in this speech. And uh, on a couple of the points, we can maybe gain some good insight. And a couple of those things we want to maybe just toss away uh, because it won't do us any good. And this this is all this all has to do with relationship. It all has to do with how we relate to one another, how we minister to one another, and how God calls us in certain situations to be that person who comes alongside maybe someone who's going through a difficulty. And how are we supposed to rightly do that? And that's what I believe a lot of the book of Job helps us do, helps us see the right way and the wrong way to really minister to people. So before we're going to jump in, because we have a lot to cover if we can get through it tonight, um, in verses 1 through 5, um, Job, um, Elihu, I'm sorry, is going to give his, uh, f- express kind of his frustration right off the bat, with both Job and his three friends. So we're going to jump in in verses 1 through 5. And it says, So these three men ceased answering Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barachel, and the Buzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now, because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. 
When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So, first thing we see here is that Job's friends stop arguing uh, with Job because um, although they still thought he was looking at his circumstances in the wrong way, it seemed like Job was so convinced in his perspective that there was no point in continuing the discussion. And we see that a little bit as Job's friends kind of come to him and then kind of back off seeing that Job is, is not going to budge from his, from his point of view. And, you know, it's like saying we agree to disagree. You know, if you have a conversation or a discussion or even, um, you know, some kind of disagreement with somebody, you may never get to that point where you see eye to eye. There may be a point where you have to say, you know what, we're going to end the conversation because we're, just, we're never going to convince one another and we're going to just agree to disagree. And that's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> but Elihu here kind of saw that. He critiqued that. And he has criticism for both Job and his friends. He's an equal opportunity uh, criticizer. He was listening to the entire conversation obviously, because he mentions a few things in his speech. And he had a lot of strong opinions over uh, about what he heard during that time. He was angry with Job because he felt like Job was more interested in, in ju- justifying himself than God. And we heard a little bit of that as Job kind of pleaded uh, his case and brought forth his, um, his resume, so to speak, of blamelessness and righteousness and, um, and put it out there. And secondly, Elihu was angry with Job's friends because they really didn't do a very good job providing an answer for Job's suffering. And, it, and they weren't really very good at giving any comfort to Job. So in those things, I think Elihu was, was right in his observation. Um, and it's important, I think, to note that it says here in... Uh, In verse 4, now because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. That's a very interesting thing because that was kind of the etiquette of the day. That was uh, the custom because Elihu is a much younger person than the rest of them that are involved in this conversation. And so he saw, he, he wanted to kind of be obedient to the customs of the day and allow those who were older than him to speak first. And then once he saw that there was going to be a stalemate, he saw an opening that he was going to jump in. Uh, I think that was wise. That was another good thing that we can take from Elihu's tax in what he did here. He showed wisdom in waiting to speak beyond the... uh, beyond the customs of the time. He was very wise in that. Proverbs 18:13 says, "He who hears a matter he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him." He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. So he not only waited for the elders to speak, but he waited for everyone to kind of lay out their um, uh, their opinions on this whole thing and then he decided that he was going to speak up. And again, a wise thing to do. I think that's, there's wisdom in that proverb, uh, proverb 18, Proverbs 18, 13, in that verse. So for the most part, we see Elihu's words are measured and thoughtful. And it seems like he sincerely wants to help 
everyone kind of get to the truth. But there are times when Elihu is guilty of the same things that he accuses everybody else of. And we can take a lesson from that too. That kind of, that attitude of self-righteousness and and self-centeredness and self-importance. We can interpret some of his speech as maybe youthful enthusiasm because we just see that, sense that in sometimes some of the things that he says. When we desire to minister to people, we need to be careful of our attitude and how we might come off um, and continue to have just an attitude of humility. Even when someone comes to us and asks for our counsel, asks for our advice, you know, never to get um, so uh, self-important that they can't receive those things that you're telling them. And even if they're good, even if it's good counsel. So in the next few verses, we're going to see that Elihu here will affirm his credentials, which kind of give he feels that gives him the right to speak up. So he goes. Uh, in verses 6 through 10, Elihu, son of Barachel, the Buzites, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. I said, age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise. Nor do the aged always understand justice. Therefore, I say, listen to me. I also will declare my opinion. So we see his hesitancy here to speak because of his age, because of his youth, and rightly declaring that age should speak first, the elders should speak first, and there should be wisdom in the multitude of years. But then he kind of makes a turn and he says, but there's a spirit in a man. And he says here that you may have age, you may have years behind you of experience, but God has given me his spirit and I will speak to you now. Very interesting. But as far as the, his recognizing that the, there was wisdom in their age and their experience, Again, the book of Proverbs gives us um, something that we can refer to and take as truth. It says in Proverbs 16.31, The silvered-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. So it's not only age, but it's also being found in the ways of the Lord. See, you can wisdom should accompany age. I mean, as we get older, we should learn lessons from our mistakes in the past and hopefully not repeat them and get wiser with age. But it's not always true. And so Proverbs 16.31 speaks about um, the fact that respect for elders is good, but if they've been following the ways of the Lord. And that's what really sets us apart Age alone doesn't always bring wisdom. It has to be rooted in abiding in the Lord and in gaining wisdom from the Holy Spirit. So Elihu here um, kind of uh, gets to that point. So now in the next few verses, he gives the introduction to his speech. And he goes on and says in verse 11 through 14, Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. 
I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words, lest you say, we have found wisdom. God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. So he goes on here explaining that he waited patiently for all of them to finish their speeches, giving them the respect that the culture kind of required. He listened to all their theories about why Job was suffering, yet none of Job's friends were able to persuade him to agree with them. And then he listened to Job, and he found no great wisdom in what Job had to say either. So he lays this all out, and then he says, now I will answer you with my words. So he felt it was time for him to speak. He actually felt compelled to speak, and it'll tell us that in the next few verses. 15 through 20 says, They are dismayed and answer no more. Words escape them. And I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. Also, I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. We'll get to see that played out. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It's ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. So, get in the picture of who this guy is? He's saying here, I am so full of words to say that I am bursting at the seams. I'm like fermenting wine in wineskins that's about ready to just burst through. And uh, if there's no release, if there's no vent, I'm going to explode. And he's, I think this is kind of a picture of his, that, that youthful um, enthusiasm, you know, just to, just to, okay, it's my turn. It's my turn to talk. I'm going to talk and I have a lot to say. And so he just can't wait. Um, but his enthusiasm, again, we need to have balance, don't we? In everything we do, it wasn't really tempered with, uh, self-control. It wasn't really tempered with wisdom or compassion or, or kindness in a lot of ways. So he was, he was, yes, he was enthusiastic. And a lot of the things that he said were correct, but it was just, he just kind of blurted everything out. I think we probably could have done well with maybe two chapters of Elihu's speech instead of all of the chapters that he goes through. But uh, this is what the Lord has for us. And I think even in these things where we say, you know what? You know, I was talking to someone the other day about the book of Job, you know, uh, 42 chapters and, you know, a lot of repetition and a lot of his friends say the same thing. And a lot of times Job says the same thing. But why? so long. And I think, you know, God has a purpose. His word never returns void. There's a purpose for every single, um, you know, verse, chapter, word in the scriptures. And so there's a reason for that. And I think um, for me, it may be teaching me to be not so long-winded and not so wordy, you know, that's just personally. So uh, whatever you can gain from this, um, take it in. Apply it to your lives. There's nothing here that, that's, uh, that's unnecessary. Maybe I'll say it that way. So in verses uh, 21 and 22, he goes on and he says, Let me not, I pray, 
show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. So most people that read this speech will, will conclude and agree that he doesn't really favor any man, maybe himself, but he doesn't really flatter or show partiality to any of them. He takes his shots at Job and his friends, and he keeps his promise, really, not to flatter any of them. But he does express his objectivity, um, but sometimes in a self-serving way. And for a young man, he shows a lack of respect, I think, for his elders. Even though he waited for them to finish and admitted that you know, there was wisdom in, in their, uh, their age and that it was, you know, it was right for him to, to wait his turn, uh, I think some of the things that he says show a lack of respect for that. But there are some positive things. So he's a complicated guy. So we're going to get into the speech in chapter 33. And we're going to see that he introduces kind of a couple of new concepts um, into the discussion, into the conversation that have not yet previously been um, introduced. So I think he sees it from a different perspective. He sees it, one of the things he sees is that Job's punishment, instead of being um, Job's suffering, instead of being punishment for sin, might actually be God's way of keeping Job from sin. And we're going to kind of dig through that a little bit. Instead of being punishment for sin, his suffering could be actually God's way of keeping him from sin. And in kind of another way of God manifesting his grace to us. You know, he does it in a lot of different ways. The Apostle Paul tells us one of the ways that that God's grace was manifested in his life was through suffering. And in 2 Corinthians 12, you probably know this account very well. Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Remember, Paul was given, he was taken up to the third heaven. He was given revelations by God. Um, he was given, you know, the, the words of God by the Holy Spirit. He actually had an encounter with Jesus Christ, right, after, after he had risen. And so there was a lot of things here that Paul could have uh, used to exalt himself. And so he says here in verses, verse 8, he goes on and says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. This thorn in the flesh, we don't know exactly what it was. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I love that verse. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Boy, when we're weak, we, we're strong. He, he says this. Therefore, I, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, we don't boast in our infirmities very much. We complain about our infirmities. We complain about the thorns in the flesh. We complain about the suffering we go through. But Paul says here, I'll boast in those things. 
Why? Because God is doing a greater work through that. And so he says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul, there was a temptation, a tendency maybe for Paul to have been very prideful. I mean, he was, um, he was a great uh, religious leader of his time. Very wise, very well respected. And then after he was knocked to the ground by Jesus and saved, um, he was given even greater revelation by God. He, if anybody, he had a right to maybe boast, not only in what Jesus had given him, but even in his, uh, in his pedigree, in his, you know, his background. But he said, in order to help me not fall into that sin, God was gracious enough to give me a thorn, just something that would constantly remind me of his grace in my life to keep me from sinning. That's amazing. That's beautiful, actually. And I think that's part of what Elihu is going to bring out in this next chapter. We, we always have to remember that Elihu is a very interesting and complex character. And we're going to see a lot of that as we go through these chapters. On the one hand, he has some really powerful observations of Job and of God. And other times he sent, tends to talk in circles that you don't understand anything he's saying. And he brings out these unfounded claims and it doesn't do anybody any good. So he's a, again, he's a, he's a con- complicated guy. In verses 1 through 7 in, verse, in chapter 33, it says, But please, Job, hear my speech and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth, my tongue speaks in my mouth. My words come from my upright heart. My lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. If you can answer me, set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Truly, I am as your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will be my hand be heavy on you. So, Elihu here is trying to reassure Job that his words are sincere, that he's not going to give his opinion. He's going to infuse God's wisdom into the conversation. But he also tells him that, he, that Job should listen to what he has to say because he's, because he's been given a word from the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but, I, but over the years, people have come to me and said, I've received a word from the Lord for your situation. Uh, I've received a word from the Lord about you. Can we sit down and talk about that? And this is where discernment comes in. This is where the Holy Spirit has to give us discernment. Because it may be true that they received a word from the Lord about our situation, but it may not be true. It may be their own opinion that they want to put forth as God's word. So we need to measure those things. We need to be very discerning about those things. Now, we'll receive that with, with uh, gratitude and with uh, humility and with, with thankfulness for that person coming to us and, and wanting to give us what they believe the Lord gave them. 
But we want to also measure that. And how can we measure that? Well, we measure that against the Word of God. You know, does it line up with the Word of God? But also the Holy Spirit will give us discernment to know that if the words of, of others are from the Lord or they're not. So Elihu here tells him that my words are from God. I'm your, I'm your spokesman. And God has given me a special word for you. Now, we'll see some of the things do sound biblical and some of the things not so much. So that's where discernment comes in. So Elihu goes on here and he tells Job that he's also a simple man, just like Job. But he's been given a word by God. He kind of mixes humility with pride. And he does it in a very kind of skillful way, I think. He also tells Job that unlike his other friends, that Elihu's not going to try to scare Job. You know, there were some things that Job's other friends said that really could bring fear into Job's heart. You know, that God was really going to pour down his wrath on Job, that if he would just confess his sin, then he wouldn't be suffering so much. You know, some of their words were very harsh. And so Elihu here tries to reassure Job that he's, he's not going to go down that road. That's not, that's not what he's, uh, he's about. So he goes on here in verses 8 through 11, and he says, Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words, saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent. There is no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. So some of those things may sound familiar that we heard Job say. And some of those things may sound like they're, they're misquoted. See, Elihu heard some of the things that Job said, but then he kind of twisted it a little bit, put a little spin on some of those things. Job never said he was perfect. He never said he was pure without transgression. He never said he was innocent or there's no iniquity in him. He never claimed to be perfect. He did claim, and God backed him up on this, to be blameless. And that's different. That's not perfect. That means, as a man, blameless before God, blameless before others. That's very, very different. In fact, Job's own words, and maybe Elihu went out for a sandwich while he said this, say in, in Job 9.20, Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. So Job is saying here, yes, I, I'm... I, I, desire to do God's will. I desire to walk in his ways, but sometimes my own mouth will condemn me. We can, we can relate to that. We want to do God's will. We want to be righteous before him, but sometimes it's our own, our own words get us into trouble with, with God and with others. And so Job was saying here, I'm, I'm not perfect. But Elihu kind of, kind of twisted those words around. I think it's important for us in this to remember that we need to be better listeners. Better listeners to people. Hear everything that they say. And not kind of... Some, sometimes we tend to daze out when people are talking to us and we hear like bits and pieces, but not everything. 
And then we fill in the gaps with our own opinion about what we think they might have said. And that's a dangerous place to be. And I think that's what Elihu did here. He heard some of the things that Job said, but then kind of filled in the gaps with his own, with his own stuff. So we need to be careful with that. Elihu, in these next few verses, explains how God speaks to people using various means. And this is, this is kind of how we're going to close up the chapter. We're going to talk about three different ways that God speaks to us. The first one here is in... Uh, in dreams and visions. So in, in verses 12 through 18, Lahu says, Look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of, his, of any of his words. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn a man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. So this is Elihu's attempt at explaining God's character to Job, to his explaining God's ways and saying here that, that um, you know, God is greater than any man. He's, he's going to say a lot of things here that no one can dispute. And that's okay, but he's going to reiterate these things. He's going to say, God is greater than any man, that contending with God is useless, and that God doesn't have to give us a reason for the things he does. All those things, 100% true. But Elihu now is kind of stating the obvious, kind of preaching to the choir. But again, we remember he's got many words stored up that he's so he's just going to kind of get them all out. And I think because of where we are in time, I'd rather leave this as we explore these different ways that God speaks to us. I'd rather leave this for the next time we get together. Just to pique your interest, that, that uh, maybe read ahead and see here that Elihu is going to give us three means, three ways that God speaks to his people, and including today. But for tonight, consider this man Elihu and what he's bringing to the conversation. And consider, you know, whether... He, he, his wisdom can be received by those who are hearing it or if maybe he needs to do have a little attitude adjustment as we say and then consider how that might be applicable to our lives because there are people that are going to be in our path there are people that God is going to put in in front of us to minister to and we want to make sure that we're able to do that in a way that's first of all that's uh, and lines up with the scriptures. You know, that, that's not going on our own opinion or our own wisdom, but also that people are going to be able to receive. Amen? Yeah, let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. 
You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.